Hello and welcome to Revelation On Demand Podcast. I am your host, J.D. Myers, and I am joined by my co-host, Chris Kai Hess. How you doing, buddy? Hey, I'm doing pretty good. How's, uh, how's God affecting your life lately? Oh, God's been, been bringing me about to uh, study a lot of things that seem to be pertinent to today's lesson, so it'll be interesting to see where we were taken by the Spirit of God in, in today's episode. Yeah, I definitely hear you with that. That's uh, It's been a dimensional shift for me, just even uh, getting started with this. Yeah, yeah, and good news for our, our audience. Uh, we're going to be going to two shows every month, so every other week we will be releasing a show. We will do our best to let you guys know if there's ever a week we need to skip for, you know, like holiday or something goes on, so... But from now on, we're going to be recording every other week as far as I can tell. Right, Chris? Yes, sir. We'll be doing uh, every other week, just like JD said. And uh, it'll, it'll be something that will really get us going and motivated. But we also hope to be able to reach the audience uh, quicker and, uh, you know, with a, with a like kind of a return policy in, 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 if that were to be used in a positive connotation. Yeah, no, I just I felt like we needed to pick up the pace a bit, and at least this way, we can get twenty four chapters done in a year potentially instead of just the uh, you know twelve. But uh, you want to tell our audience about a little bit about what we talked about last week or two a month ago actually. Yes, it has been a month. So just going over what we were discussing, uh, basically in chapter one, two episodes ago. Uh, let me start there. Uh, Jesus had presented himself to his former disciple, John, and had showed him these things, seven lampstands, seven angels that were representing as stars. Um, definitely check that out. Uh, but he addressed seven different churches, as in he brought up seven names that needed to be individually addressed with a letter of forewarning, of, uh, you know, with, with basically he wanted to unite the seven stars in his hands, the angels with these seven churches and each of those lampstands that I was just mentioning were a representation of each one. So last week we went over the churches of Ephesus, Smyrna, Thyatira, and Pergamum. Each of them have their own faults, uh, their own unique sin. Uh, what JD's really good at here is bringing up the actual like archaeological and societal background of where each of these churches are. And uh, as he's mentioned, they're each in Asia Minor. It's so modern day Turkey. And yeah, like I like you said, I go over a lot of the history so that we can kind of get an idea of where these people were coming from and what these these uh, letters could mean to these people and then from that point we can take what we can what we're supposed to get from that because in at the end of every single letter to every single church is to him with ears let him hear so that's that's what we're trying to do with this if you want to go over those four churches best check out the last episode and then um anything else you want to mention chris uh no, sir. Other than the fact that each of these recaps are going to be a little bit, are going to sound a little bit confusing 
because we have to refer back one or two chapters to tell you, okay, well, this is at the point that we are in the story, but we also want you to know that this is how, you know, this is where everything is driving from. Uh, JD, you had a point about something I was mentioning last episode? Yeah, we mentioned uh, there's certain believers that uh, think Christ descended down into hell. And there's some scripture that you can kind of get that from. One of the only scripture that I found that was close as just a, a basic reading was Peter three nineteen, which says, "After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago, and God waited patiently in the days of Noah, while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through the water." So that's referring clear back to Genesis uh, when the flood happened. Uh, there was it was just a blanket, you know, uh, retribution that God brought down upon the world. So there was a lot of people. There was a lot of innocent people, other than Noah's family, that were wiped off the face of the earth. So these people couldn't go to heaven, quote unquote. Because Jesus hadn't even existed yet. So Jesus wasn't able to redeem them. And of course, as we know through scripture, Jesus is the only way we can get to heaven. So what that was referring to, a lot of people say they's descending into the spiritual prison sort of thing. I guess some people can, you know, construe that to hell. And I, I guess in my mind, it sounds more like a purgatory, but that was the closest actual scripture that I found that I personally could get, you know, he descended to some place like hell. So, and then you had another, uh, scripture that was close to that. Yeah. And, uh, just saying about what your point is, uh, you got to figure that the son of God has a spiritual skill set to be able to commune with any spirit. Um, the instance in which I was recalling, and I'm glad he found his side of it, because that gives me some substantiation to why this is. Uh, basically, there's something called the harrowing of hell. It's, uh, gosh, what do you call it? So the Catholic culture basically has these three pacts uh, that are called creeds, and they're... Uh, a Sumerian, I believe, which means it applies to multiple churches. Uh, what that all translates to is they have a creed, a document, a way of life that dictates certain things that are said in the Bible and interpreted this certain way so that you as a believer of Christ or a member of the church can be told and interpret it as so. So the harrowing of hell, the thing I was just talking about 50 minutes ago, was something that had happened actually post for lack of a better way of saying this post-mortem of the body of christ and that was jesus actually descending into hell that's what they believe i'll read you the scripture it's ephesians 4 9 and it asks a question and it's what does he ascended mean except that he is also descended to the lower earthly regions a uh, quite literal interpretation of maybe death, meaning that he descended into the earth like we do a burial. Mm. But in, in this philosophy, I know it's a lot to crunch no. down. Yeah, yeah. 
No, and and the Catholics take that as to meaning to go to hell. But when I read that piece in that scripture, I was like, it sounds like it's talking about him descending from heaven to earth. You know what I mean? Right. Which which he ends up following through with a bit, uh, like later on when he reappears. All right. And in in the very book we're talking about, you know. <laughs> As you can tell, folks, we've been waiting all month to talk about this. But why don't we go ahead and move on? Yeah. Uh, kudos to you if you were able to uh, take any of that in. <laughs> if it, if it if it helped you at all, I hope it did because it was just something that that fascinated me there for a while because Chris brought it up and I was like, oh, I've got to research this now because that just sounds so weird, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So, we wanted to talk about what's going on in the world right now because I mean, not much has changed as far as I can tell. We're still dealing with the coronavirus, and and there's, uh, I guess, racial tensions. But you had something you wanted to talk about. So, I mean, what how I'm kind of seeing how we've shifted over the past three months is, uh, JD was talking about last month how we had plague and then unrest. You know, these biblical signs that at first we were like, there's no way, you know, Revelations is to be now. And we're a little bit complacent on that idea. Well, yeah, but, but we, we still not sold on it being Revelation yet. Just it's testing. So Exactly. We're in a build up phase for that. That's our heartfelt feeling about that. But how I see the how the past month has been going, we've had a lot of uh Social, like social, uh, social shifting that has been going on for our viewpoints on, or the masses' viewpoint on racism, how we are supposed to deal with that, um, law abiding in the first place, or those who protect the law. Um, it's 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 a heck of a predicament. Um, I've mentioned God bless law enforcement. And I don't want that to discourage anyone from feeling that the way that they do, if they feel like they need to present their voice with that, though a lot of this is just interesting. I feel like God's trying to get us uh, more accustomed to this new, not necessarily a foe, but this new, strange uh, planet that we're dealing with. Because everything is starting to change. And how do we grow as individuals? How do we adjust and gear up for that. Yeah, no, and and a lot of it has to do with tribalism, which is one of mankind's like just root sins. So, just one of those things that we have to learn to deal with, and that's what we're trying to do as we go through the Bible, right? Absolutely, I really do appreciate any of you or all of you who have been following through so far. We're going to finally jump in to Revelations now. Um, like I said. Our good friend here, JD, is really good about uh, uh, background info. Um, so he's going to start on the Church of Sardis. Yeah, and we're going to Sardis. Sardis, excuse me. Like, uh, it's a town that has many different worship. We've we've talked about this in the previous towns where there's all these different temples to different gods because this is you know Greek influence culture, Roman influence culture, they have a pantheon of gods. So like the other towns, there's many different temples here. And then, of course, one of the largest Jewish synagogues outside of Jerusalem is located here in Sardis. 
and uh, the Romans would tend to lump Christians in with the Jews, but the Jews themselves always seen themselves as separate from the Christians. So we got this kind of dynamic where the government of the town is is kind of treating Jews and Christians as one group, and then the Jews are, are kind of pushing the Christians out of that group, which takes them out of the protections the Jews have under Roman law. So that's we'll, we'll go into this more in detail as we go through the reading. Would you care to read that? Yes, sir. Um, and for those of you who don't know, Revelations does take place after the death of Jesus. For any of you that didn't get that. So um, this is just uh, that last part where the Romans are tending to lump together the Christians and the Jews uh, as one entity. It's just a result of their discrimination against the religious uh, other than the Roman religion. But why don't I go ahead and get started on that? Okay. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard, hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know what, at what time I will come for you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me, dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will not blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my father uh, and his angels. <laughs> I'll read. I'll read. Uh, we're at. We're at. Um, chapter three, verse five. Um, uh, I was scrolling through my notes and blah blah blah. Uh, the the one who is victorious will like them be dressed in white, and I will not blot out the name of that person from the book of life but will acknowledge that name before my father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Right, and uh, I, I always remember, like, like that at the end, just the little signature from Jesus there, you know. Whoever, Whoever has, has ears, ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Yeah, yeah, and of course that's also a note to us 2,000 plus years later. Hey, there's something here that's even relevant to you today. So the the thief in the night thing, uh, Sardis is a is a military kind of stronghold, and uh, there's this big fortress here that has had been turned over several times at this point in history, due to these uh, kind of like not all frontal assaults. Like there's a siege going on, and then the people who are sieging would send in like a thief in the night, a group of people to go in through, uh, some, like there's a, something called a Sally, Sally hatch in older, uh, well, newer castles where the people inside the castle can attack the siege, the people who are sieging them and then come back without them seeing. So there's this uh -huh. kind of, there's this kind of like hidden passageways that, 
they managed to get into and just turn the city through that. So that's why he, he's referring to this, this just this town has been hit several times with that kind of tactic. So he's saying, hey, remember this. If you don't shape up, I'm going to take you down in much the same manner. You won't know when it happens until it's too late. So that was that was kind of it's it's a kind of a threat from Jesus, you know, <laughs> or, or I guess a promise. Jesus on the offensive, <laughs> right, right. And then the, the biggest issue with the believers in Sardis is that they just get along with all these other beliefs, which as a Christian we're we're not really called to do that. We're called to correct people who are wrong in their beliefs because if they are wrong and we believe what we believe, they're going to be damned. And if we care about them, we're going to try and correct them, right? Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of corrections, um, uh, whatever about this. Oh, so JD, we were scrolling on the notes. Um, your little tick marker suddenly covered the verse. Oh, sorry. Okay. I'll make sure I don't do that again. No worries. And then uh, part of this was is that in that biggest synagogue I was talking about before, there was pagan like symbols also built into this this synagogue. So there there was symbols of other gods within this temple to God. So this is this is the kind of idea when these guys were desecrating their temple to God by having these symbols, these pagan symbols that were for other gods. And of course that big synagogue was right across the gym from the gymnasium, which isn't a gym like you'd think today. There's uh there's also, there's the, the workout and sports and stuff like that that go on just like a today's gymnasium. But there's also open bath houses and just all sorts of, terrible sexual acts are going on inside those oh, places. With, yeah, and of course all the sports uh, Greco-Roman wrestling is nude. So that's that's where that came from. It, these people are, are naked for most of their workouts and it's, it's just between workout and then just this lustuous uh, orgies that go on from there. And uh, this is this is where they were talking about uh, the their garments aren't soiled. There's some believers who have who have avoided being akin to this sort of practices, so their going their garments aren't soiled by this sin. So the big lesson that I got out of this was that uh, we need to claim we we cannot claim anything but the truth in Jesus, and the, he is the only way to salvation. Like we were talking about at the beginning. Uh, those souls who died before Jesus was alive had to wait for him to be resurrected to get a chance to go into heaven or, or be brought into heaven because they were they were true believers, but Jesus just hadn't paid for all our sins. So that's that's the big idea. We cannot turn away from Jesus as being the salvation. Interesting how that's predated. And yep, we have something after the coming of Christ, and it seems predated to us. Hmm. 
No, and, and we we see that today. You'll find churches who kind of, you know, they'll 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 dance around. Oh, Jesus is, he can be our savior, you know. And, and an illustration that I got from this is, if you came to me in an emergency and I just told you, any way you go, you'll get to where you want to go, and you ended up somewhere far away from where you wanted to get help, then you'd be really mad at me when you got to that place and whatever tragedy is happening to you. So in the same way, as believers, when we are facing unbelievers, we need to stand firm that Christ is the only way. So we, we just it's, it's convicting to me, and I try my best to bring glory to the Lord in all I do, even when I'm just talking to people. So it's it's something that I strive for, and I hope that everyone else tries to strive for too. You, you don't need CPR when you need manual ventilation, although that could accompany it. <clears throat> well, yeah, no, it's, it's more like, hey, I cut my arm off, where's the hospital? And I just say, well... Did I you say hospice? Just, the hospital, no, hospice? Well, the hospice is, you know what I mean? You need yep. medical attention, so I'm going to direct you to the hospital. Well, if you need salvation, I'm going to direct you to Jesus. That's that's the big takeaway. And, and just not being complacent with the creep of other cultures trying to say, this is where that, that argument comes. The, the Jesus is either Lord, liar, or lunatic. And a lot of people want to call him just a... Uh, just a, a, a enlightened teacher like Gandhi or, or Buddha or something like that, but he is the Son of God and he is the way. So we we've got to make sure not to just call him a powerful, you know, uh, leader. He he was the Son of God, and we we've got to have that. So you want he's me? not just a force to be reckoned with. He is the force <laughs> to be reckoned with. <laughs> So, I mean, yeah. yeah. You, do you want to go over the notes of Philadelphia? Yes, I most certainly can. In 17 AD, Philadelphia was struck by a big earthquake that made Rome the area exempt. Uh, oh. make, that make, well, I'm sorry. sorry. The area that, of that Rome. Yeah, no. I, <laughs> You're good. I, I wrote that bad. This was a big earthquake in 17 AD, and uh, they, they were rebuilding. So... They they sent a message to Rome saying, "Hey, we're having to spend all this wealth rebuilding from this giant earthquake, and it hit several other towns in the area." But they went and said, "Hey, can we be exempt from paying taxes, pretty much, so that we can, you know, recover from this?" And I guess Rome said, "Yeah, sure, you know." Right, that I protect the homeland in a way. Yeah. So that. At first, when you wrote that, uh, I was reading in two places at once. I thought you meant they were exempt from tribute, like everything of their uh, everything of their uh, archaeological representations of their gods was uh, dissolved somehow. No, I, I think it was just the tribute of the town to Rome as an empire. See, back then when Rome took over a town, every town would have to pay Rome tribute which today is we understand as taxes, but 
in their days they could pay with spices and cattle and and uh, you know precious minerals and they could pay in all sorts of different things so it was always referred to as a tribute instead of taxes taxes tend to be just a money thing whereas as tribute this is part of your worshiping the roman god king you know so it's, it it wasn't just considered taxes it was part of of how you worship the emperor. Now, why did Rome have them remove vineyards to make them less prosperous? Because they weren't paying taxes and they wanted to forget about them? That and the vineyards in Philadelphia were putting other vineyards in Rome to shame. They were producing such fine grapes and the wine produced from those grapes was sought after in the area. And this is part of why Philadelphia had so much money at the time for agricultural community. This was a lot of vineyards. There wasn't a whole lot of uh, uh, other things around. So in Rome wanted to remove a bunch of those vineyards so that Roman vineyards could, could hopefully make it on the world market better. What a political predicament. That <laughs> the fact that they would... They would accept the um, the idea that there might be unrest or uh, some odd other uh, from neglecting the people of Philadelphia after an earthquake. But then again, then again, they went ahead and punished them. Yeah, no, and and Rome was pretty cruel in that way a lot of times. And when you study how they would take over an area and then they'd they try to bring their culture into their culture and, and assimilate it in a way that like somehow kept the culture intact, but put it all underneath Rome's like big canopy. So it's, it was interesting. And yeah, they were like, we know you just had this earthquake, but uh, like cut your most profitable uh, industry in half. So that we you gotta can... wonder if they stole it too. They stole it to distribute it to those other towns. Probably. So I'll go ahead and go into the next chapter to the church in Philadelphia, to the angel of church, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. Right. These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God, and I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The new Jerusalem. Well, yeah. I mean, that went over my head earlier when reading that. Oh, no, and we're going to get into it uh, in a it's near the end when he's remaking heaven. Uh, New Jerusalem is a wonderful, uh, Im Im just the imagery that 
they used to describe Jerusalem was the or New Jerusalem, excuse me, was so vibrant that the first time I listened to all of Revelations, that was like the key thing that stuck in my brain was the description of this golden city that is where heaven will be. Must and, be where the phrase uh, heaven on earth comes from. Yeah, and I, I am so excited to get to that, but that is like 20 chapters away. So <laughs> 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 so we, we'll get to it when we get to it. And uh, So what to take from Philadelphia? Um, the Christians were kicked out of the synagogue, and this is going back a little bit into what Sardis was going on. Uh, when the Jews allowed the Christians to be with them, they were exempt from doing certain things like praising Caesar, the emperor. So when when the Jews kick the Christians out for not being, you know, Jew enough for the Jew club, uh, they lose their protection of the Jews. So then they fall underneath just flat Roman law. You have to pay tribute to the emperor. You have to pay taxes. You have to, you know, engage in these activities to be part of hitherto society which is um, why it was hard to be a Christian in this time. Well, and apparently hard to be a Hebrew. I mean, well, discrimination is a word I was using earlier, and it's, it's uh, gosh, what you just said, I loved. Um, anyway, going back to what I was saying earlier, this kind of talks about, we were talking about, we were talking about mostly the discrimination of Christians and Jews. Well, in this case, you have the discriminated Jews and you have the discriminated Christians. So followers of Christ were even further uh, below what? the Jews. Exactly. In the eyes of Rome. Yeah. So it's and like it's like not only does Rome single you out? But now the Jews mm. are singling you out of the of because at least the Jews believe in the same God. They just didn't believe Jesus Christ was Messiah. They believe there's another Messiah to come. So that in this time they didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah. So they pushed these Christians who, you know, we're supposed to say Jesus was Messiah and He is my Savior. So when you say that in the synagogue, they're like, yeah, that's not what we believe. Good luck on your own. And after that, Rome would come down on you and say, hey, you're not a Jew, so you're not exempt from paying tribute to Caesar. We want your tribute. Which, being as that's an act of worship, it's against our beliefs. <laughs> so you can see where the predicament comes in. Exactly. I mean, if you want to talk about it in a little more modern times, you take some of our founding fathers generation during the revolutionary war where you had a lot of people who were discriminated not only from their churches because that was uh soiled so to speak but the government themselves and you had that you just had that twist of it mm-hmm. anyway um so have you gone over galatians 5:14 yet uh, no, I haven't. And it says, well, let me get to 14. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. So this is this is the part where Jesus comes in, in or this is the writer of the letter saying, this is what Jesus said. 
in Galatians that we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. And this is, this is the kind of thing that even when we're singled out, even by other believers or believers that are in different kind of sects from us, we're still to love them no matter what and, and show them God's love. Because in showing them God's love, we may help them see the true path. Yeah, I like that. As a follow-up to that verse, we also found, too, Romans 2.11, which is God shows none partially. Speaking about what J.D. was talking about, the um, more enclosed example of that segregation. Uh, but also to the masses, or like as a blanket statement, which would be that God doesn't want to single you out for the person you appear to be, but be impartial to you. Regardless. Mm-hmm. And one of the big things to remember from all this is that what we lose as we follow Christ, whether that's relationships or money or jobs or whatever it is, if we lose here on earth following Christ and proclaiming his name, we will be repaid in heaven in tenfold some people say. So that that's the big thing. When you feel like there's just nothing more you can do and you're 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 being persecuted by people and people hate you for your beliefs and think that you're a bigot or racist or whatever, as long as you hang on to Christ and do not throw away his name, if you lose your job, if you lose your friends and family, as long as you have Jesus, you will be saved, and in heaven, you will be paid back for that. And that's that's just so convicting to me that I that how can we get to a point where we believe in Christ like that? That and me being a former atheist, it's crazy to hear myself say stuff like that. You know, like I I want to believe in Christ so much that no matter what happens on this earth, I will not you know, give up his name. Right. And you also get that return on the time of revelation, whatever, whether that might be in our lifetimes or not. Uh, when that time is to come, you know, that repaying, you know, rewarding thing that Jesus will do for you Hmm. is going to be, you know, as he said, intentful. Yeah. And the great thing is, even if it doesn't happen in our lifetime, everyone's going to see revelation. So, because at Revelation, those believers who died before are resurrected, as well as uh, anyone who is a believer at the time of Revelations. So, we'll, which we we'll all, dive we'll, into. Yeah, yeah. Which was the next section, right? <laughs> but that, <laughs> well, that'll not, be not it. Not that'll, today. Yeah, not today. Next next yeah. episode, we'll actually start going into some of the more colorful stuff of what goes on when. When revelations happen, so you want me to give up? Give our listeners the background on Laodicea. Uh, of Laodicea, I'll try to skim over what we've got so far, and feel free to correct me, um, because I, I know you need to catch your breath. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so Laodicea was known as a banking center. So you, you got to think money. Obviously, yeah, we, you got to go where the money goes. Follow where the money goes. Yeah, now uh, if, you, if you could think of like 
the headquarters of like Chase and Wells Fargo and all these big banks that we know today, they were in the city. Now, the ancient equivalent, it wasn't like Chase and Wells Fargo were clear back in biblical times, but that was the general idea. This is like the HQ of all the big banks of the of uh, Asia Minor. Yeah, so, I mean, you're talking about a lot of trade, but more specifically, this place was known as a marketeering uh, stronghold. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, more market private trade within the city limits than um, like we were talking about last month with um, the Silicon Valley. And I want to say that we were talking about uh, not Ephesus, but Pergamum. Mm -hmm. And that was like a huge development place to like distribute from there on Mm -hmm. where this place had just as much private trade as it was making money. Meaning that a lot of that was coming in internally. Don't get me wrong. It's obviously distributing and taken in from other places. But mm-hmm. think of a an exquisite local place that you want to live. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a Beverly Hills. Yeah, and this this place is so rich that that earthquake we were talking about in Philadelphia, this place just paid to rebuild itself. That's how much money they had. They just the earthquake hit. They're like, yep. They just wrote the check for everything that needed to be fixed. So I'm, I, I remember reviewing this not too long ago, and the best way that JD worded it, and I have it here, is that there was no water here, so they needed to pipe in water from far away, and the water would be lukewarm and full of minerals that made it bad water. Yeah, no, and that's they had this aqueduct that would come from a faraway source, and it was like eight or nine miles that this water had to travel in the nearest two cities. One had a glacier like runoff lake. It was up in the Hills. So it had crisp cold water and another one had hot springs. So here we have Laodicea with this tepid kind of disgusting tasting water and it's two sister towns nearby have crisp cold water and refreshing hot water. So this this plays into the letter and it's important to know this before we dive into what Christ has to say about Laodicea. Would you read that for us? Yeah, sure. It's like the water in California versus the better water in Arizona. Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, these are the words of the Amen the faithful, and the true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have required wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Though those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. 
If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the seven churches, or to the churches. Yeah. So, you heard it in there, I wish you were hot or cold. That was directly in reference to those two towns nearby with the hot springs and the glacial runoff. And uh, these these people here, since this town had so much wealth, even some of the poorest people in this town were wealthy compared to everyone else in the region at this time. And as Americans, we honestly are kind of in one of these situations as Christian believers, even if we're, you know, some of the poorest people around. If we live in America and we have a cell phone or a car, we're relatively rich compared to the rest of the world. And it's something that being here in America, everyone has a car. Everyone has a cell phone. I mean, it's ubiquitous, right? Uh, yeah. Ubiqu- I'm sorry. Could you define that? Ubiquitous, it means it, it's everywhere. Everyone has it. Sorry, I didn't mean to use a big word. But just, you know, it, it doesn't matter who – if you don't have a phone or a car, it's by choice, you know? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I so, agree with that. So this this – I don't want to, I don't want to step on anyone's toes here, but this, this chapter or this part talking to Laodicea could really talk to us today in our lives, because we are surrounded by wealth and comfort that no one knew. We live better today in the lower classes of America than the richest people did a hundred years ago. So, it's just. Getting this this perspective is is crazy. That when we have what we need, we need to remember to be thankful to God. Because if we ever get kind of big headed, and that's what this this is talking about, these people become confident in themselves instead of believing God gave me this, so I need to honor God with it. And uh. even even today, if we don't have a whole lot, we still have more than someone else, we can help other people. And that's that's the big thing to remember from <coughs> from um, Laodicea. Sorry. Kind of that perspective on... You're, you're fine. Kind of that perspective on uh, a life of survival or a life of comforting yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and here in America, we are very comfortable compared to some places in the world today. So the symbols in this <coughs> section, uh, gold is godly characteristics, the white robes are pureness and holiness, and the eye salve, which we didn't mention this to begin with, there's an eye salve that they sold in the market that helped people see better, it helped clear their eyes. And this eye salve will let people see, who are blinded by their wealth, see the way to Christ. And that's what the salve he was talking about, that they will be allowed to buy this gold, this linen, and this salve that'll help them see their way to Christ. Taking something that was ever so utilized physically and telling them to apply it spiritually. Yeah, no, and that that's the wonderful thing about Jesus. He, he breaks it down into some of the, the, the most common 
descriptions. So reading the Gospels and reading and following what Christ was teaching us, he always brought the moral down to a place that anyone listening could could take something from it and get the right idea. And that's that's what I love so much about this. And he would he would bring it back to the specific person on what they know because in this town they have gold, they have white linens, they have isalf. But he's saying, if you turn to me, I will let you buy the purest gold, the whitest linens, and the best eye salve that will open your eyes and show you the way. Amen. Yeah. You got something to add there at the end? Uh, well, we talked about sitting with him on his throne, but... um. We also had mentioned towards the end of the chapter, just before he had, uh, Jesus was conveying that, you know, you'll get to sit on the throne with me just as I did my father God when I was honored, um, is to break bread with Christ is what it's commonly known as, or when you get to eat with him, it's pretty significant. So Matthew twenty six twenty six is a good verse for that. Uh, and the parable of the meeting uh, of the feeding of the thousand, which JD can tell you about real quick. Let me just grab it. I was a little behind here. Uh, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he was had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, "Take this and eat. This is my body." Is that right? Yeah, Matthew yeah. twenty six twenty six. Yeah, that's that's the that's the the first communion or the last supper which was the first communion that as Christians we are supposed to do today. And, and this whole idea is that we are breaking bread with Christ to be in him or to be part of him. Right. And random tangent about that is there was a certain point, which was the supper randomly was so significant because of the fact, I guess, in a dietary way, Jesus wasn't eating very often and would have these suppers with his disciples. Yeah. I didn't know that. Uh, it doesn't... He, he he has a lot of these parties, so I just always assumed that he was eating with everyone. I, I didn't know that, so that's interesting to me. Yeah, you can't really <laughs> chew on anything when you're so busy professing and talking. True, true. I mean... You you can do that at a party. You realize you've been talking to someone for two hours and you haven't even grabbed a hot dog, you know. I guess I could see how that would happen. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Any final thoughts before we wrap this up? Man, oh man, I'm appreciative of everything that's going on right now with this because um, we're going into this week thinking that it's going to be a little more simple to go over three of the churches and not four. And man, oh man, was it... Just as pressing. Just as long. Just as long. <laughs> and while, I, I mean, I'm, I'm super grateful to you, as usual. You'll hear that me and JD have somewhat of a spiritual bromance going on uh, towards the end of these episodes. But um, this is a lot to take in. Uh, when, when Just going over this, you know, that's, that thought just keeps reoccurring in my mind. is like, wow, this is so much more info than... Uh, than I was prepared for. And I'm just very grateful to those who are willing to listen to yeah. us. 
Yeah, and I'm grateful for anyone the Lord brings to us to listen. And I, I really appreciate how you guys are listening. And I, I would love to see this this podcast grow and we reach more people. But I believe that is going to be on God to take this podcast where He wants it to go. So, and uh, what I really like about this these the church section at least was that there was a lot more in here than I ever imagine could have been in here and a lot more that convicted me in how I am as a believer in Christ. And I hope that as our listeners, you guys also had some of that conviction that I felt in some of these points where it's like, Oh man, like that applies to us today still, you know? And I'm just, I hope that we reached you the way God reached us on this, you know? As you can tell, also, we have a lot of excitement under our breath. We're just like, man, we just really want to bring all this info up front and tell you all these wonderful, knowledgeable and things about the, you know, what, whatever information you can grab about Revelation. Uh, but only, not only that, the Bible included. But the big thing is, like, what we do is not exhaustive. What we do is just scratching the surface and, and letting God guide us with what information he wants in this podcast. So there is a lot more to these chapters. You could study them for years. I know there's scholars who have, and you could get every ounce from any part of scripture, to be honest. But this this part of scripture is no less you know rich than any other. So if you think there's more, I guarantee you there's more. We did not get every ounce out of this. So... I always encourage you to go do your own research and look it up. You want me to close this out? Uh, yes, real quick. And uh, not only doing your own research, but it's uh, somewhat of a healthy mindset, at least for me, to look at some of the stuff that's sin-worthy in the Bible and taking it into your own perspective on your own past. And I think that's what's been tough about going over these seven churches because we're like... It's going over everything that you could do wrong. But if you happen to go over the last three chapters, or the last two specifically, and you see some of the faults of the people of these places, uh, and think that, yeah, that might have been something that I had gone through or I had put others through, uh, my advice, as always, is just give it to God. Give it to the Lord. And it's one of those ask and you shall receive. You know, you're going to get feedback on that, I promise you. Yep, God is good. So, thank you for listening to Revelation On Demand Podcast. Please like, share, and subscribe wherever you catch podcasts from. Please, if you like this show, share it with a friend or family member or someone from your church. Remember to go out there and follow Christ like we want to follow Christ. If you have any comments or questions, please contact us at revelationondemand at gmail.com. God bless and see you next time.